Hi, I'm Deb. I'm here with my husband, Mike, the host of Mike's Seminary and Friends. And hon, I'm not sure if I know much about this guest that you're going to talk with this week. Tyler has a very interesting background. He was very experienced in the streets, let's put it that way. He authored a book, turned his life around, and he is a pretty remarkable individual. Sounds like another needle mover. He is. Awesome. Welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. When my wife convinced me to launch this podcast when I decided to retire from engineering, she had recommended I do this based on a book that I wrote, but we've never edited it. And I bring that up because it, I, I now read a lot of books in preparation for guests that I'm going to bring on. Some of them have written the books. Other books are that I, I, I read just to give me information, content, so I can have fairly good questions I can think of when I have someone that's willing to take their time and share it with me and, and then with you, our followers and listeners. The book I read for this podcast, I, I bought it. I don't remember how many pages it is, 300 and some. It's more than the limit I normally set for myself that I'm going to read. And I finished it in such a short period of time because I couldn't get to the next page fast enough. I've never read a book this raw. I've never read a book where the fellow writing it shared some of the most intimate details about his life from when he was a little kid to an adult. I've never read a book where the title Broken Gifts, where a guy's so broken at times, I was thinking there's no hope for this guy. And by the, by the grace of God, here he is on my podcast today. I, I'm just get, The name of the book is Broken Gifts. I'm just going to read the sections and see if this does anything for you. Innocence stripped away. Anger. Mom, forgive me for this one. Fucked up. The next section, more fucked up. Lost. Survive. Giving back book dedication. And in those sections are chapters that are just, we're going to grab you. Absolutely going to grab you. It's written by a fellow by the name of Tyler Alt. And this is the first time that I've had the opportunity to visit with him. I knew a little bit about his story. Now I know a lot more because of the book. Tyler Alp, welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for taking time. And as we were talking before we started the recording. Thank you for being willing to be really open like you were in your book. <laughs> I chuckled because of a couple of things we talked about before we started the recording. But your book, Tyler, I, it, it is an absolutely amazing recount of a person's story lived and it is a miracle, I think, 
that you're here. And here's the first sentence of the book, the very first sentence. My name is Tyler Ump, and I should be dead. Right there, I went, I, and I, I couldn't put it down, Tyler. So you were a young fella, and, you know, for the most part, you had, you know, a pretty normal family life, the way you perceived it, mom and dad. You had one brother? Two brothers. Two brothers. Yeah. But it didn't take very long for you to start experiencing some pretty significant trauma in your life, and, and you talk about that. And some of it as a result of your dad who you dedicated the book to, you love him, but there are times he was a hard man. Is that yes. a fair statement? Oh, definitely. In some, share with us in some ways, how was he hard? I mean, you know, he, he, he abused drugs and alcohol. He struggled with that most of his life. And he just, you know, that rough, tough attitude and um, you know, it was almost like he was doing me a favor. He was teaching me something that he knew was going to happen to me in my life. And, um, it just, it just what didn't line up with, um, how you should, uh, how you should teach any kid, um, how to live life. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was unpredictable. It was raw. It was scary. And there were moments of beauty as well. Talk a little bit about beauty because it, I, <clears throat> Before I read your book, I know a little bit about you because of what you post on Facebook. You may be the only guy I know. You may be the only person, much less guy I know. And almost every post is a flower. It, it, is, it is something of beauty. And that's what you're always posting. So kind of share with us how that came to be while you were living in this period of time with your dad who could be hard well those you know those moments of beauty uh, meant a lot to me because they didn't come very often um, and I had to look really hard um, to find them you know the details in things um, really you know has saved my life um, because it's made me look at things um, for one it used to be just for survival um, you know I used to have to watch how people would breathe um, to see what was coming next in my life or, or how they were looking at me or how they walked in the door or how they did all of those things. So it's like a tornado that comes through a town every single day and being able to pull yourself up and say, okay, like I need to find something beautiful in this, which is a very difficult thing to do because, you know, if a tornado comes through your town, you're going to say, oh no, you know, this house is gone. That house is gone. All these things are ruined all of these people's lives are upset and and you know and, and changed forever and and I had to I had to walk out of the basement of that home after the tornado and I had to find that one flower that was sticking up or how the sun shined through the clouds um, and today that's very beneficial in my life um, you know I live in the details I don't recall and, and Folks, I'm not going to go into lots of details about the book because one of my goals, as you well know, one of my goals is I want you to find, find this book and buy it. And when we get towards the end here, Tyler will tell you the best way to get a hold of the book. I want you to read it, not, not just because of Tyler's story, 
but because you know people or you're going to know people that have a real rough patch in their life and going to a book that like Tyler has written, as you could just hear, where there are times that were challenging, he found beauty because he had to. It was all about survival. And you're going to need a book like this to kind of give you a little direction. How old were you, Tyler, when you really first started noticing the beauty that was out was readily available, but sometimes hard to see because of what was going on in your life, in large part because of your dad? Probably, probably when I was five, somewhere in there, um, five or six, um, you know, some very traumatic things happened in my life um, at, a, at an early age. And, and once those things happened, it, it changed my brain. It changed everything inside of me, um, who I was as a person, who I was as a kid. And, and it was after that, that, that I became hypersensitive of things, of surroundings, of people, um, mainly to survive, mainly to not get hurt or to, you know, reduce the, the pain, but also to, you know, it, it was something I could disappear into, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was that little boy that was playing in the grass and, and really wishing that I could go inside of that grass or inside of that crack or, you know, on that bark of that tree and disappear into all of those little places, all of those things that are very hard to see until you get down on the ground or right up next to it and see it. Um, But, you know, that, that was, that was my life. Um, I, I lived in those little places because they felt safe to me. What you're saying is that that was a, way that was presented to you for you to escape the trauma that you just said was changing your brain and how, how you thought and how you saw life. And, and I say it that way, Tyler, thank you so much for sharing, you know, intimate personal details about your life. We hear, when I say we, we in society hear from groups of folks, whether it's the native Americans or inner city, uh, Blacks and other ethnicities, where there's a lot of trauma in their life. They talk about dealing with trauma and how it has so adversely affected their abilities sometimes to, to contribute the way they'd like to. And you are, you, you just absolutely hit the nail on the head that other folks are sharing with us how trauma impacts you. And it was no fault of yours. I mean, it was no fault of yours. This was trauma you dealt with and you're trying to find ways to escape. So fast forward a little bit to, as you grew up still dealing with trauma, had a mom that loved you dearly that I don't remember if she had one or two jobs or more, but she was always working. Your dad was working too. Yep. Uh, trauma in your life and two brothers. As, as you start to develop, you could become kind of a big kid. Um, and I don't want to say a bully right away, but you have a presence about <clears throat> you that you learn fairly quickly that I'm capable of, of some stuff. I, I just want to say it that way. When you learn that, when you realize that, 
how did you process that in your mind about another way to escape or another way to take advantage of who Tyler was becoming? I mean, you know, once, you know, the first time I, you know, realized um, the physical part of it and the, the, the fight part of it, it was, you know, I was walking to school in grade school and there was this big guy and he was waiting for me, you know, he was a couple years older. Um, he was way bigger than me and he waited for me and I was so scared and I was walking and, and he came after me and, and I don't remember what happened, but he was laying there when I was done and, and I walked away from him when he was laying there and it, it was, it was something that took the fear away. I was able to do something that made that fear not control me the way it would be when someone, you know, hurt me. Um, so I, I figured out it worked. And once it started working, you know, it, it, in the beginning, it was all about protecting myself. And then as time went on, um, it became something that I took pride in. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed pain. I loved it when people would hit me or kick me, or there was no better feeling in the world when I was laying on the ground and three guys would be on top of me and they would be hitting me so hard that I would just be seeing stars. It was like a, it was like a rush for me. I, I just, you know, because it was something that I understood. It took away that internal pain that I was feeling all the time and it turned it into something that I, that, that made it go away, made that internal pain go away. And it, it, it just worked. When, when I was, um, combative fellow boxing and those kind of things, we used to call those, uh, moments. That's when I felt like an, I was an adrenaline junkie. And that's exactly what you just described. It was uh, not just the feeling that you had, by the way, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm nothing. I just have read enough, I've had some experiences and I'm sharing my personal thoughts here. What, What you described was not only did I have this ability to, to inflict some pain, that pain that I took really, it, it was almost a high from it. And that made you feel even more powerful. It's kind of what you just described. Is that accurate, you think? Yeah, definitely. When those things would happen in the book, you still, all of a sudden, boom, there was that moment of beauty. You'd notice a flower, you'd notice uh, you, you'd notice this stuff. I just, I, I'm going to say there was somebody working. There was a power working, even though you were developing into this person that's pretty rough and tough and dangerous. There was still these times where beauty was sending a message to you, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, I mean, when you're, I was, I was fighting some guys down at the desert and, and I remember being kicked in the head. I was getting kicked in the head and I, and I remember the sands in my face and I'm looking over and the moon was full and it was shining off of the river, you know, and it was just, it was like, I, I took that moment. Um, and, you know, and it, it, most of the time people aren't going to notice those things, but you know, it was that special gift that was given to me. 
um, you know, that, that I didn't ask for. I didn't, I didn't ever look for that. Yeah. It just happened to be able, you know, cause when I was a kid, I had to go to those places. Otherwise I truly think that those moments would have killed me, mm-hmm. you know, that it would have been too much. Um, so I think, I think that was God or, or whatever it was that was, you know, they're with me saying, Hey man, this is rough right now, but look at that. How many fights do you think you were in? Oh my your life? goodness. Oh man. Over a hundred. Yeah. I, I asked that question because there's this movie. I don't remember the knock around guys, maybe Vin Diesel, who I, who's an actor. I, I get a kick out of He's in this bar and there's this guy, the local tough guy who, uh, is throwing his weight around and Vin Diesel walks up to him. And he says, 500. He said, 500 what? Douchebag. And he spits on him. <clears throat> yeah, if you've seen, you're, you're laughing. Uh, you probably have seen no, it. I haven't. <laughs> and he says, 500 street fights. When I was growing up, that's the number I picked that you have to have 500 street fights if you want to be a legitimate tough guy. And then uh, along the way, I just lost count and it didn't matter anymore. <laughs> so that's kind of Tyler Oak too. Where in that timeline, as you were learning this presence that you had about you, did you decide to start experimenting with alcohol and or drugs? Um, it would have been probably right at the end of junior high. I had a friend of mine, you know, we had made this pact that we um, weren't going to do drugs. We weren't going to drink. We weren't going to smoke cigarettes. And, and he went out with a girl one night and had some pot and smoked some pot with this girl. And he came back and told me, you know, and I was pissed. I was like, how did you go? You know, like, you're my, you're my guy, you know, and you went against like what we, what our plan was, you know, we we were going to do things different. You know, and then the dumb little boy in me with all the hormones was like, I like girls, you know, and I know where I can get a bunch of pot, you know, it was, it was like, you know, it was down the hallway, it was, it was accessible and, um, you know, but, and that's, that's where it started. You know, it, it started with, you know, just innocent um, experimenting for reasons that a lot of people do. And, um, you know, and the girl thing never worked out for me because I was violent, unpredictable. Um, I had a giant heart, but I just wasn't able to show it at that time. So prior there, to that, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. And that, and then it was off and running. You know, it was once, once, once those things were added to my system, it was, it was over for me. There was no going back. There was, it was just set in motion. Before I, I was going to ask you a question about you already had it in the house. You were exposed to it. You saw it. I'll come back to that. But you just said something that made me think of First Lady uh, Catherine Helgus Burgum and her recovery reinvented. I, I had her on the podcast uh, and some other people too to talk about addiction. And I've had enough people talk about. You know, there are plenty of people that can consume alcohol and they don't become addicts. They they are not people that are going to have it ruin their life and rule their life and ruin lives around them. There's that percentage of people that it's the first time. It's the very first time that they do it. You don't even necessarily know, but the very first time you do it, 
in your brain, in your system. You're, you're now the addict and you don't realize it. That, it's, would you say that's probably was your case? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was. You know, I had no clue the monster that was in there that I just slapped and said, wake up. Oh. <laughs> you know, here's my life. It's yours now. Monster in me. Wow. <laughs> Back to the other thing I was leading up to. So you were in junior high and your friend broke your pack all over a girl, apparently. Yep. And prior to that, you had been exposed to it. You saw your dad use a drink, <clears throat> I think. You, yep. you, but you never touched it. You never touched that stuff. No. Even before you had the pack with your friend, right? Right. And I am sure I was exposed um, my whole life when I was a little kid. I'm sure I was, you know, I'm sure I was high. Um, but I always, at that moment, you know, I still had a choice. And then, and then once I decided to pick it up on my own, um, then my choice was gone. What you said just now, you mean kind of like secondhand smoke? You were Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was around it. So I'm sure I was, I'm sure I'd gotten high lots of times, you know, even before I even could talk. (laughs) what were your dad's parents like? Um, you know, it, the, the family, um, they don't, they don't talk about it. There's mixed, um, you know, there's mixed stories about it. You know, my dad always said that, um, you know, bad things happened. Um, you know, his mom was, was always a really good person. My grandma, um, but his dad had died when, um, he was really young and, and, uh, it sounded like there was some, you know, if you would reach for the bread um, and didn't ask for the piece of bread, you would get, you know, punched. And mm. Um, mm. it was rough. You know, I mean, there, there, there's a reason, you know, I mean, there's, there's no reasons that, that make people should act like that. But, but there are, there's a, there's a story um, that lead, leads people down paths. Yeah. So you start using eventually using almost everything under the sun yep. um, on a real regular basis, getting in trouble, lots of fights. Eventually, and that's why I'm kind of jumping around. I, I could go into a lot more detail, a lot more stories <clears throat> that were just riveting for me. But again, folks, you're going to buy this book because I'm just going to leave a whole bunch of stuff out. You decide, you know, I got to start selling some of this. How how did you make that decision in terms of my, my meaning Tyler, my personal safety? And was it just because you wanted to make some money? Well, it, you know, there, there, there was a time in my life to where that's all I thought I was good at, that that's all I thought I ever deserved. And you know, the people in those, those fields of work, you know, the, the drug addict, drug dealing and different things like that. Like they, they filled that dad void for me. You know, they, they, they praised me. They, you know, it was, I, you know, I could fight. I would, you know, get all my fingers chopped off before I'd ever tell on anyone like, you know, I'm not telling, you know, I would sacrifice my life for them and people in that trade. They, they knew that. So they would grab a hold of me and they're like, oh, this guy's like one in a million. You know, this kid, this guy will, 
he'll die for us. And, and um, you know, so, so they filled a void for me that was never there. And they, they became the people that I always wanted to um, be in my life that, that believed in me. They just were steering me in the wrong direction. You know, it was, it was the wrong, it was, it, but, but it, you know, all of the, all of those people always just fell into my lap because I, I think something comes with um, someone that goes through things in their life and you have something about you. And, you know, all of a sudden I meet people that have warehouses full of drugs, you know, and, and you're going, Oh my goodness. You know, like, like, wow, you know, how did that happen? And it, and it just always happened. I never went and looked for those people. I never went and said, I need to find people that smuggle cocaine or, um, you know, it, it, they just always popped up in my life. Did you make a lot of money? Yeah. yeah. I made a, I made a lot of money. Yeah, but I had a very bad drug addiction um, that consumed it. You know, it I didn't have much to show for it. You know, I sometimes I had thirty thousand dollars cash um, in my drawer that was mine. Um, you know, I could spend it on anything, but when you have a you know six to thousand dollar pill habit a day, um, that goes fast. A day, six hundred to a thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. you're dealing drugs for some they're kingpins uh, the, yeah. these people are, in a way you were too because of some of the amounts that you were moving yeah definitely and it didn't it didn't really sink into me you know you, you move a hundred kilos of cocaine and it's like you just do you know i just did it it was like okay like that's just another you know thing that just never really settled into my brain the magnitude of it and you were using and i was using generally speaking the kingpins that you were dealing with and if this is something we can't talk about please let me know no you're good we'll go they, we'll go there they pretty much don't want their mules or whatever you're called they don't really don't want you using because that puts them at risk because somebody that's using moving the drugs, if they get busted, normally they're going to rat on them. But here's a guy that will have his fingers cut off. It's, did they know all along that you were also using so much? Yeah, they did. Um, you know, it, there were these, you know, cocaine smugglers and, and they, they gave me some cocaine once I met the one and, so it was an introducing thing and they gave me this cocaine and I, and I about snorted the whole, you know, it was like gram, gram and a half of cocaine in this glass thing. And I snorted almost all of it and I handed it back to him and he, and he looked at me and said, where did you spill it? And I said, no, I said, I did it. And he, and he goes, he goes, you did it. I said, yeah. And he, and I said, I said, to be honest with you, I said, I really want to ask you if I can do the rest of it, you know, <laughs> and he just, just, you know, and they just shook their head at me like, holy, what, you know, what are you doing? So they, they understood, um, you know, what, what I, what I was, um, but they tried, they tried to help me um, in a lot of different ways, but it was mainly for their own self-interest. 
not yeah, they, for, they wanted somebody dealing their drugs that wasn't going to get high wouldn't get caught and yeah and so they wanted to help you yep. okay i right. get it i yep. shouldn't be laughing that's just yep. shame on me <laughs> yeah no no iv you know if the, the iv thing like that was a no-no um you know i could get high when they wanted me to get high i could smoke the pot i could do the things but you know the pills they didn't like um because they were worried i was gonna die and and then all their stuff was gonna be you know so so it wasn't you it's about their stuff getting stranded oh definitely yeah (laughs) you know and and we did we did um, build relationships to where i truly believe they they cared about me and in the way that they could yeah um but you know that only goes so far but you weren't you never shot up no, uh-uh. no, that's a miracle. I know. I, you know, we always judge people, right? We always, we always have someone we're going to judge, and I never wanted to be one of those junkies. You know, <laughs> it would have been more economical. You know, but I mean, I mean, it was, it was always something I took pride in. Like I never use a needle, and I never will. You know, I'll never, I'll never stoop to that level when I was way above that level in a lot of things. Tyler, you were moving a lot of drugs. You were. Wait, were you in your mid twenties at this point in time? Um, yeah, I was. It was in my later twenties, thirties, okay. um, mid twenty. Yeah, there were different times. Um, Colorado was a different time. Um, I did some really stupid things there that I really didn't understand. You know, I drove some U-Hauls for some people, um, and not really understanding what it was, or you know, it was just trying to fit this part. Um, and then I became the part. So you're pretty young. You uh, own some property outside of town. Yep. You have, in some ways, a uh, loving relationship. In many ways, actually, a loving relationship. And you, steep, you keep getting deeper and deeper into the, the bowels of this uh, vicious cycle where you're uh, selling and you're using and it's pretty consuming at, at, at you know right at that point in time you write about how important that person one is in your life and that property and no more deal t- no more details than that because people got to buy the book yeah were you, did you ever stop and say i have to stop doing this or i'm going to blow this i'm gonna, did that ever become a serious thought for you at that time? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was always, it was always a thought, you know, cause I was, I was dope sick all the time. I was, you know, overdosing bad things were like horrible things were happening over and over again. And you just, it's just this big grinding machine you're in and it just keeps spitting you out. And, and it's always, you know, you get to that point to where it's like, I need to stop. I need to stop. This is the last time, you know, you say that thousands of times and, and you just, it was just so strong that it never could be. And I'd been through a bunch of treatments up to that point. Um, you know, it was just, you know, and the, and the miracles were happening along the way. It just wasn't, it, it just wasn't the moments. Mm-hmm. How many times did you try to take your life? Oh my goodness. Like, like true attempts, probably six, seven, eight more. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot. I was, everything I did was um, suicidal, 
you know, carrying the gun, um, you know, during these drug deals or working in the marijuana patches and knowing that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to jail, you know, suicide by cop. So six, seven, eight. And then on top of that, how many times did you OD? Oh gosh. Good. 15. 15 where you rushed to a hospital or that. Yeah. I used to, yeah. I used to go to the hospital. Um, gosh, a couple times a month. I'd take too many pills. Um, they'd Narcan me. I'd end up in the hospital for like 14 days, uh, throwing up. Uh, they were going down my, uh, they were going down my throat because they had to cauterize my stomach because it had so many holes in it. Um, I was bleeding, you know, it just, it was just a mess. Um, you know, I was at the doctor all the time because for one, there's drugs there. Uh, and for two, I was, you know, I was slowly dying sometimes quickly. Yeah. There's a couple of times in that book, you say, you don't, I don't know if I believe in God or not, but I'm here to tell you, Tyler, I got a feeling. I right. got a feeling that because <laughs> I've I'm, I'm not really good at math, but you just gave me about 20, you know, 25, 26 cases where you probably should have been dead. 23 for sure. And you're today on a Saturday, a beautiful day, you're talking to a bald guy through a computer <laughs> talks, telling your story. I think there's somebody there. All I know, it wasn't the carnival barker. That's all I'm going to say. It wasn't the <laughs> right. carnival barker. What, what was the moment in your life that you said, I, I got to give this another shot? You mean for sobriety? Yes. Um, you know, broken heart. No, that's what, that's what did it. You know, my ex-wife, you know, left me, um, lots of things that led up to that. Um, you know, and then I found out later, she didn't want to be the person that would find me dead. Um, you know, so she, she, she wanted out, um, for her own, um, survival, um, living with someone like me, um, that was constantly causing chaos and bad things in our lives. Um, you know, it was that moment to where, you know, I went into St. Alexis partial hospitalization program and um, suicide attempt. And um, it was just, you know, it was just, I felt like I was a puddle, you know, it was like, I just needed someone to push me off the table into a cup and stand me up, you know, and, and I went to that treatment, I showed up like early um, and I asked and it knocked on the door. <laughs> it's a locked facility. And I said, I need to come in. And they're like, you're way too early. And I'm like, you, you know, and they let me in and they sat me on a couch downstairs. And I just sat there because I was so scared um, on what I was going to do and where my life was at. But I went through that program and, you know, and I did it basically to get the girl back. Um, but it turned into something more. Mm. There was a lot of struggles after that, but that that was that was one of the moments back to the broken heart your former wife not wanting to find you dead clearly her heart was broken too and, and again i'm not a psychologist i'm not a counselor i'm not a psych i'm not i'm just a bald guy with a pair of headphones on this morning talking to a guy that wrote a fascinating book 
that was also her way of telling you that she loved you. I, I mean, that's what I, and she well, definitely, she, yeah, definitely that that's, uh, you know, some of the strongest love that you can give someone is, is standing up to them and saying the things out loud that um, you don't ever want to say. Real personal question. If I'm going somewhere, say you're going to the wrong direction, bald guy. Um, were you ever abusive to your wife? Never. I always, um, I, you know, you always see that thing. Um, I was always protective over women um, because of what happened, you know, what yeah. happened in my life um, with myself and uh, my mom. Um, yeah. So it was, I, I just swung the other way. I never, um, I never called a woman uh, bad names. Um, never even got aggressive towards a woman in my entire life. Um, I don't know why, because it usually goes the other way. Yeah. You know, you're, you watch those things and you usually do it. You know? And, you know, I, I truly think it was, I got this giant heart inside of me. And I think that's kept me alive and kept me going in some of the right directions, even when I was going completely in the wrong way. Yeah, I'm thinking that's not a carnival barker thing either. I'm yeah, thinking right. that, you know, because <laughs> here's this rough guy that was living a rough life, a lot of violence in your life, dealing with bad people, selling drugs. You knew what drugs did to people. You weren't a nice guy. I mean, yeah. in, on that side. But as I read the book, I was always wondering. You were delicate. And you were the flower guy. Yeah with with your with the women in your life yep. which is pretty special and amazing you go through treatment and they keep you in treatment longer than they normally do and you form some relationships in in treatment uh, two questions one did you ever ask them why they kept you in treatment longer and the second was who was the person that pointed out to you, you might have a career somewhere when you leave here that doesn't involve dealing drugs? Well, the, you know, the, the length of my stay was, um, you know, medical. I was, you know, bad things were happening to me. Um, you know, my, my kidneys were not doing well. Um, you know, I had uh, squamish, squamish cancer on my lip. Um, that they had to cut off. Um, I, you know, I was, I was going through all of these things that were, you know, and I, and I think that was a God thing too, because, you know, those things happened while I was someplace safe and, you know, in the cancer on my lip thing, you know, I was in Hartview. I sat down with the nurse, Marvis Doster and, and she goes, do you have any appointments coming up? And I said, well, I made an appointment like a year ago for this dermatologist. And, and she goes, well, let's call up there. And, and, and I said, okay. And we called up there and it was like the next day. And, um, and I go up there and they ended up, you know, testing my lip and, and found out I had this cancer. And, you know, and I asked that dermatologist, I said, what, what, um, what would have happened if I wouldn't have made this appointment? He said, you would have had to wait another year. He says, cause we book out a year. And I said, what would have happened to me if I would have had to wait another year? And he says, you probably would lose your jaw. He says, because it was a fast moving cancer and it would move into wow. your, into your jaw and, and, and the, you know, it was, it, it would have been devastating to my life. And, and, you know, so just, just to have that. Um, but, 
you know, all of those things were getting taken care of in a safe setting. And, you know, the, the, the person that um, said I should be an addiction counselor was Bruce Carlson. Um, you know, he was my counselor and he just, you know, they, they believed in me and it, it felt really good. You know, I was still ready to, you know, let myself down at every turn there was, but being able to look in those people's eyes that were caring for me and believed in me, I couldn't let them down, you know? So he told me to be an addiction counselor and uh, he says, you've done everything else in your life. You, you know, jumping out of planes, isn't even going to do it for you. He says, why don't you go back to school? And I said, okay, I will. And after I said it, I went back to my uh, bed and I laid down and I thought, what the hell's wrong with you? Why did you say that? Now you have to do it. <laughs> I truly didn't believe I could do it. You know, it's just like, no way. What did you say that out loud for? By the way, is Bruce still living? Yes. I, yep. I think... I think he's a guy I used to see at the Y. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yep. I, I, I think I know who that guy is. Yep. I, I don't go to the Y anymore. But, so here's a guy that knows <clears throat> a little bit of something about addiction counseling. And I, I say it that way because I, yeah, I grew up a Catholic. And this isn't a slam on Catholics, what I'm about to say. But a, a lot of people that give counseling to young couples who want to get married in the Catholic Church are priests. Well, priests never get married. And I always thought that seems kind of weird that a person that never gets married is giving counseling to a couple that are going to be married, something that that person's never done. That's not a slam. I just think that's kind of interesting. And I say it that way because here's a guy, Tyler, that's going to pursue addiction counseling that knows a lot about addiction. And that's what you're doing now. Yes. How fulfilling is your work, number one? And number two, do you see people sometimes that remind you of you? I mean, my, my work is, I mean, it, I, can't, I could never see myself doing anything different than what I do now. You know, I get to work with some of the most amazing people on the face of the earth. You know, sometimes when we're broken, it's the most beautiful thing, um, especially when they let you in. When people let you in and they share things because they trust you and you're able to build that trust with people when, you know, a lot of people in our lives have let us down. Um, so that, that's a very special gift um, that I've been given is to understand people and their pain. Um, it just, it, it's truly amazing. And you're still finding time to find flowers, are you? Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my um, work that I do, um, I don't do traditional addiction services. So a lot of my um, services I provide are community-based services. So you know, you have everything at your fingertips, you know, you have the clouds, you have the sun, you have the water, you have the trees, you have the grass, you have all of those little beautiful details that I lived in. They're mine to share. Hmm. I'm going to start switching gears a little bit to former chief of police, a guy that I just love, Dan Donlin. 
a guy that one point in time wasn't necessarily one of your friends in your mind. <laughs> yeah. Cause he, 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 had, he was a guy that had you on his list. <laughs> uh, you gave him a good reason for that, obviously. But I want to talk about Dan in a minute. I'm going to ask you this question first. Based on your experiences, when you were in the street, when you were using, when you were dealing, when you were breaking law, when you were getting into trouble, when you were failing at trying to take your life. Oh, by the way, chapter one, put the gun down and the, you pull the trigger. That's all I'm going to say. You got to buy the book to find out why I just brought that up. You had all these overdoses. What is the street life like in a Bismarck or a Fargo in terms of drug activity, bad people in the streets? Not that you have personal experience like that anymore, but you see this through your work. Is it the same? Is it worse? Is it less? Is, do we, we, we have a problem? Oh, definitely. There's a lot more people dying. You know, there's, there's people overdosing all the time. Like, you know, it just, um, there's, there's more drugs that, um, that'll kill people now. And it's doing it. It's definitely, you know, there's bad people running around. There's a lot more guns. Um, you know, a lot more people that are, um, really sick from using. And, and when we get that way, um, you know, we become desperate. Well, we, we start becoming paranoid. We think everyone's against us. And when there's guns involved, bad things happen. Yeah. And sometimes desperate people do desperate things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I notice, Go ahead. Well, and I notice all of those things, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I lived that life for so long that I see it. You know, I know what, I know what happens in our community and most people have no clue what is happening in our community, but it's happening. Yeah. It is. Yep. Um, our daughter is a cop in Fargo. Okay. So, and of course I used to be in city politics and I have relationships with cops and chief of police, former chiefs, and I have friends that are judges. Sometimes I say to myself, if people could be listening to the conversations that sometimes I'm part of, they might look at our community a little different. They clearly, clearly would look at law enforcement with the greatest respect and revere them because of the job that they have. And they might look at the penal system or, you know, rehabilitation system different too. Back to Chief Donlin, former Chief Donlin. At one point in time, you didn't care much for this fella. No, he was not my friend. Because he, <laughs> he, uh, he was always looking for you. Yes, he was. <laughs> I think I was on a list. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes right at the top of it, I think. Yeah, a couple of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, and not because you're not a, you know, you know, a handsome fellow Tyler, but you were yeah. on the list for a completely different reason. Yeah, definitely. I definitely had the right reasons for that list. What's your relationship like now? I mean, he's, you know, he's my friend. Um, he's somebody that, 
you know, as a constant support in my life. Um, he's someone that believes in me. You know, he's, he's one of those male figures in my life um, that I always looked for to help me fill some of those places that were missing. Um, he does it. You know, I just met him the other day in the parking lot at Dan's supermarket, you know, and he came pulling up and he says, this is what cops do, you know, and, and we talked, and I gave him a book out the window and I said, well, this is what drug dealers do too. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of laughed, you know, he's like, well, look at that. We always had something in common. <laughs> I called him up to talk to him about a couple of things. I let him know that I'm going to have you on. He said, he's a special guy. He'll be a great guest. I want to have former chief on and a couple other folks in law enforcement to talk about what that life is really like. I, I, I think people need to understand. And I'll use you as a perfect example. Here's this guy that um, came from uh, you know, some trauma in his house and made a pact with his friend. We're going to go down that road. Friend broke it. Then you decided, what the heck, I'm all in. And then you became really all in. And uh, you were a bad guy. You, you, were, uh, you were for reason on the top of Dan uh, Donlon's list. Yep. And so life for cops can be really, really hard. So I want to have him on. But there's redemption too. Here it is, that guy looking for you and you didn't care for him. Now you're friends. Now you're exchanging stories, breaking bread, talk about your kids and, yep. and, and posting pictures about flowers and beauty. Why the title of Broken Gifts? Um, you know, I, I had to, I have to, every single day, I have to look at all of the things in my life that happened to me. You know, today I still deal with a lot of things. You know, there's the PTSD, there's OCD, there's anxiety like there's all of these things that never go away and i've had to take all of those things and i had to find the gift in them um because if i didn't they would they would kill me you know they would destroy my life and everyone's life around me because i wouldn't be able to to function so i'm able to to see the beauty in all the broken places in my life and it's you know it's something that i'm able to use it's something that wasn't given to me. And it was just something that says, okay, here, this is yours. This is going to hurt you for the rest of your life. This is something that I can share. And by sharing pain, I'm finding out that um, it helps people share theirs, makes people feel safe. And that is, you know, all of the things that has happened to me in my entire life, I would, I would take them all again in a heartbeat for the things that people have shared with me, for, for being able to have them let their guard down and to go there. Mm -hmm. Tyler, if you had a magic wand, you could wave over the head of young people that are somewhat in a place you were in when you were about 10, 11, and 12 that still wanted to find the beauty in life, but there was just some stuff in their personal life, their house that just was not going well and likely could steer them down the wrong path. Those, those young people, if you could wave a magic wand over their head, what's the one thing you want them to know? Gosh, I, it's, it's more about a feeling, you know, because 
in those situations, it's that the feelings are the things that, that are, are the most prominent. And, you know, I would want them, you know, I, I would give them a hug and I'd want them to truly feel it like you feel when things come out in the end. Um, you know, I'd want to look into their eyes and, and have them look back and believe the things that are, that people are telling them about the path they're on or, or the things that are happening to them. You know, I would want them to feel it um, because a lot of times those feelings, they don't come. You know, people don't feel those things. People can tell you they love you. They can hug you, um, but you don't feel them. Um, I would want them to feel it. I'm going to ask you another magic wand question. This time you're going to wave the wand over the heads of adults, particularly men, that for whatever reason have some real anger in them and sometimes they want to or will or have expressed those feelings in just the wrong way sometimes in front of their kids what's the one thing you want them to know i would want them to know how bad it hurts i would want them to know the damage that it does to that person that they're lashing out at or expressing their feelings in a different way. I would, I would want them to truly feel that pain and understand it. Um, because I think, you know, not everyone's bad. We do bad things. Um, and when we are able to open our minds up and understand what we did and feel it and know what it did to another person, I, I think that's, more powerful than anything. Name of your book is Broken Gifts. We'll, we'll tell people, on, you know, go to mikeseminary.com to find out more about Tyler and where to get the book. Where, where, where can people go? What's the best way for people to find your book, Tyler? I mean, if they would like a signed copy, they could, they could get a hold of me. Um, you know, my phone number is 701 989 nine nine seven four um you know i ship them anywhere in the united states i have uh, 300 books right now um that's a, that's a good way or you can get them on amazon um barnes and noble um, but i i prefer to sell them outright if i can um, yeah. and i sign all of them so well i'm gonna have to get one and have you sign it mine's on kindle I went through that baby so fast, I almost started the thing on fire. <laughs> What's the last thing you want people to know about you, Tyler? I mean, we're, we're surrounded by beauty. Um, you know, some of the, some of the people that um, you walk by on the streets and you judge them, um, you know, we're some of the most beautiful people on the face of the earth. Um, and it's, it's good for people to understand that because we do things, we're not defects, um, you know, and we're surrounded by beauty. You know, I mean, everybody can benefit from living in the small details of life and, and seeing all of the things because so many other things can overwhelm us and come into our brains and we miss it. We miss all of those things, um, but they're, they're surround us and, and there's flowers everywhere and there's good people. Um, 
even if it seems like they're not doing the right thing at that time. And by smiling at someone, by holding a door for someone, by asking someone if they're okay is more powerful than you will ever know. Changes the path. And sometimes that path, um, when it's changed, it, it alters it from really bad things from happening. Well, Ted or Elk, I'm telling you, it wasn't a carnival barker that got a hold of you. Right. Good Lord was never letting up on you. And you're doing incredible things. And I so appreciate it because you're doing a lot of it in the community where I live. My wife lives. Our daughters are raised here in a community where that struggle is getting more difficult because of the things that you just addressed probably will get more challenging because of the access to drugs as it becomes easier and they get more creative with chemicals, the way they put them together. Uh, I so appreciate that you are using your life experiences and your walk to counsel people that have a life of broken gifts too. And you're making a difference in them and that makes a difference in our community. God bless you for that. I, I appreciate you, Tyler. Yeah, I appreciate you too, Mike. Thank you so much for what you do. I appreciate you. Have a good one. Thanks. Thank you.